Lovely. So, um, this morning, yeah, so this morning we will start a new, as John Mark put it loosely, a new teaching series, um, which is all focused on fixing your eyes upon Jesus. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking from Romans chapter 10. There's not going to be any visuals, so you might want to look it up. Um, Romans chapter 10. Um, we will get to scripture at some point, I promise you. I just need to set the foundations beforehand on exactly what we're going to be looking into. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about a word that the Christian world, or even you could say the religious world, loves to throw around. And it's the word salvation. I'm assuming that majority of people here would have heard about the word salvation at some point in their life, either from street preachers, from pastors and ministers, or even other religious folk um, with, within our lives. But really, what does the word salvation mean? You see, the word salvation on one hand can be something quite simple, but then on the other hand, it can be very overwhelming and hard to grasp. As I was preparing for today, I had the chance to sit and dive into like um, a Bible word dictionary and really sit and look at the word salvation meant. And I came across something that I never really considered or thought about. And it's how the Hebrew word for salvation, which is, it can be salvation or deliverance, they're linked to the same word, how it can be translated into the Greek. You see in the Greek, depending on the translation you're reading um, from what version of the Bible, it can come across as the word saves or even rescues. And so now that helps us to try and picture what the word salvation is trying to get across. For example, you could be floating in the ocean and you could be, you'd be stranded or stuck, whatever you want to put it, and you're getting a bit worried and then a boat comes across and it rescues you from a terrible situation. That's a way of being able to describe the word salvation. You've been rescued. Or you could be lost in a forest and in today's generation, for whatever reason, you don't have a phone on you and you start to panic. And then you suddenly come across someone and they're able to either point you back in the right direction where you want to go. And you could say to them, you're a lifesaver. That again is another way of describing the words salvation. But what else do we do when we're trying to find the meaning of something? Especially the younger generation. We Google it. So for example, if you, if you did, I did. If you Google the word salvation, it brings a lot of stuff up. But the one thing that really caught my eye was where it says salvation means deliverance from destruction. You see, in this world, whether you believe in a God or not, we can all look around and see that there is destruction everywhere, in every nation, in every country, in every town, in every land. You quickly have to turn on the news and you can hear about it between Russia and Ukraine and the devastation that's happening there. You can quickly read about how poverty is going through our lands and households are being broken due to the cost of living. And so we can all agree that there is destruction within this world everywhere we look. For those of us that call ourselves Christian, we believe that there is good and that there is bad. We believe that there is right and that there is wrong. But if we want to get a bit more spiritual, we actually believe that there is light and that there is darkness. And we believe in a God who is all loving. But then that also means we have to believe in this person that the Bible calls the devil or Satan or whatever name you want to, want to put on it. 
And we also believe in a heaven. And one day there will be a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, and it's going to be glorious. But then that also means we have to believe in this place that the Bible calls hell. And to put it simply, heaven is known as a place where God's presence dwells. Where he has his love, his compassion, his laughter, his humor, everything about him is completely present in this place called heaven. Because that's where he dwells. While hell, on the other hand, is known as the place, to put it simply, as where God doesn't dwell. Where there is no laughter, there is no joy, there is no compassion, no hope. But above all, there, there is no love. And I'm not saying this out of scare tactics to get people a bit worried. But I think that for anyone who calls themselves a Christian, we'd almost do everything we can on this earth to guarantee that we go to this place called heaven and not this other place where God doesn't dwell. From a young age, we are taught by society that for the majority of things we want in life, we have to work for it. If you want to achieve something, you have to put the time into it. You have to put the effort into it. You have to work hard for it. Otherwise, you're going to get nothing. It's going to be pointless. As John Mark's been speaking, it's going to be meaningless or Havel. It doesn't matter whether you're a musician, a student, whether you're in the working world or whether you're retired. Whatever it is we're trying to achieve in life, we can all agree that if you don't put the time, the effort, and the hard work into it, it's going to be meaningless. You're not going to get anything from it. And it's going to mean nothing. And yet, <laughs> and yet I also want to remind us and myself included, that we don't work for our salvation. That we don't do anything where we can earn our salvation. Instead, salvation, or as Google put it, deliverance from destruction, is something that Jesus gives as a gift. We're, we're going to look at our passage now in Romans. Um, it's Romans 10, verses 9 to 13. Just to give you a quick insight into the early Roman church, the church has already been established at this point, and they're, they're a mixed bunch of people. You have Jews and Gentiles, you have slaves and masters, you have the rich and the poor, you have the civilized and even the uncivilized all gathering together in this place. And so you can already imagine the, <laughs> that this massive diverse group struggles at times to agree on things. They struggle at times to agree, as if you look through the book of Romans, you can almost see that they struggle at times to agree on what made someone a Christian. And so Paul decides to tackle a few of our concerns, one of them linking to something called justification. Or another way of putting that is, what makes you right with God? Now the version I'm going to read is from the NLT, and it doesn't actually use the word justify, um, but in other versions it will. I'll point out as we go along. But in Romans 9, or Romans 10, verses 9 to 13, it says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And this is where some of your Bibles might use the word justify. That's where it leads to justification. Just back to verse 10. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. 
and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They're the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we're going to sit in that passage, just those verses. But I really would um, recommend, if you have time for a week, read actually all of chapter 10, because it's all about salvation, and it's all about how salvation is for everyone. So I'd really spend time in it. But what has Paul more or less just said here in these verses? Paul's more or less said that if you believe in your heart that God the Father has raised Jesus the Son from the dead, and if you've put your trust in Jesus as Lord, and if you're not ashamed to bring Jesus up throughout your day and everyday conversation, then you might as well start calling yourself a Christian. Because by what Paul said here, it sounds like you're saved. I remember when I was 16 and already given my life to Christ and in a young Christian journey. And I remember thinking to myself, where I started asking questions, have I done enough? Have I said the right words? Have I honored Jesus' name enough? Have I read enough scripture? Have I learned enough scripture? And technically, there's nothing wrong with those questions. But it's the mindset behind them and the heart behind them which became an issue. It became almost like a tick box exercise. And without me really realizing, my heart and my mindset had shifted to one that became focused on what I was doing and what I thought was right compared to putting, compared to putting my trust and faith into Jesus throughout my day. It became all about what I did, all due to me wanting to make sure that I had done what I thought was right to earn my salvation and make sure that I was going to this place called heaven. And yet, if we look back in Romans here, in this passage, especially verse 9, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God the Father has raised Jesus the Son from the dead, you will be saved. There is nothing in there about working for it. There is nothing in there about earning it. Instead, the only thing that we are told to do here is to believe in who Jesus is. And if you have any doubts about Paul's words, you can go and read what Jesus himself says on this subject in John's Gospel. It's John 6, where Jesus is in a town called Capernaum. And he's speaking in a synagogue and he's teaching the people about eternal life. And the people simply ask him this question. What work must we do to get eternal life in heaven? And Jesus simply replies to them. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And Jesus continues to tell them to say that I am the bread of life. I am all you need to be sustained. Do you not think that being reminded of that today, or even if it's your first time actually hearing something like that today, that suddenly we are free from heavy weights that we carry around, ones where we try to put on false impressions on what we think a Christian should look like, ones where we we think you have to act a certain way to be correct in what you're doing. 
ones where we project a certain type of person that we think has done what is needed to earn salvation. Because Jesus simply said, I want you to come to me the way you are, your own little messy self. And Jesus, we hear about Jesus being called the good shepherd through the Bible. The good shepherd, he calls you by name. He says, I want the real Peter. I want the real AJ. I want the real Nicola. I want the real Roz. I want the real Janet. I want the real, let's see, Andrew. <laughs> he put his hand up. <laughs> I want each and every one of you to come to me the way you are, your own little messy selves. Come to me. Believe in me. Place your trust in me. And then you'll know what it means to be truly free from the heavy burdens of, of what the religious world loves to set on us. And due to knowing this, we are free from something that the world loves to call religious legality. The rules and the works that we set in place, what we think is correct. And all they actually do is they hold us back from God's personal presence. Because being free from this, from these extra rules that we set ourselves, that we think are right, being free actually opens the door for God's presence to move freely within our lives. Where it allows God to speak freely to us, allows God to freely move us. But really what it does, it allows the Holy Spirit to freely use us in our day, day in, day out, wherever you are. It allows the Holy Spirit to move you. All because we know and understand that we don't earn our salvation. That there's nothing that we can do to actually earn it. Instead, we realize that it can only be given to us by coming to Jesus, by believing in Jesus, fully trusting in Jesus. You could even say as a title the, of the theme for summer it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And salvation isn't simply a ticket that gets you into heaven. Not at all. It's so much deeper than that. Salvation is a relationship where, as we said, Jesus calls you by name to spend time in his presence, to spend time in his living word, to spend time in the gospel. And before you know it, your life starts to transform. It doesn't stay the old way that it used to be. It starts to transform. Salvation isn't about sitting static and waiting. It's nothing to do with that. Instead, salvation is a constant journey and relationship with Jesus that is transforming. One where your life and your characteristics start to line up with his because your eyes are completely fixed on Christ. I think that's exciting. <laughs> now, there's one more thing I want to speak about before we run out of time. And it's something that I think in the middle of this passage you could miss out. And it's verse 11. In verse 11, it says, as the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. I don't know where, what you're all feeling today. 
I don't know what everyone's going through. I don't know what burdens you're carrying. I don't know what shame or guilt you may be feeling. But I think a lot of people, and myself included, find it, ha- find it hard at times of letting go of our past shame and our past guilt. The things that we have done, the stuff that we have said, the people that we have hurt, and probably so much more. And yet, when we read this verse, it clearly says, it's not even Paul's, and he says it's in Scripture, as the Scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. In front of us, we have the bread and the wine. What do they represent? You have a bread that represents the body of Christ. You have a wine that represents the blood that was spilt. Both of these together point us to the cross and the price that Jesus had to pay. But (laughs) we know the story doesn't end there. We know that on the third day, the one who calls us by name (laughs) defeated all sin, which means he defeated all shame, all guilt, past, present, and future to come. And so sometimes when we come to this table, we remind ourselves of how unworthy we are, of how filthy we are, of how messed up we are. And that's, that's, that's 100% correct. It's, it's true. But sometimes in that case, when we also hold on to that too much, we almost forget the mighty victory that Jesus had over sin and death on that cross, where we are now free from the bonds of sin, where we are now free from the entanglement of our shame and guilt from the past, the present, and the future, where we have been rescued. Again, that word salvation in the Greek and being translated rescued. We have been rescued from whatever has taken deep root into our hearts, wherever it may have been or maybe still is, wherever it would be drink, drugs, sex, Pornography, gambling, those are the big, big ones that Christians love to throw out there and make public. What about other wee ones, which are usually quite quiet, where it's dishonesty, where it's gossip, or other things that we, we, like, we, we don't talk about too much. But we have been freed from all of those, all of the shame, all of the guilt, past, present, and future. And now, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think that we have a get out of jail free card and do whatever we want because Christ has conquered everything on the cross. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that due to Jesus conquering death and defeating sin on the cross, then you are no longer held back by your shame or guilt. Wherever it's in the past, wherever it's right now, or wherever it comes in the future. And before we finish up and pray, And if you haven't listened to anything else, this is one thing I want you to listen to. (laughs) When the father kneels down and he looks you in the eye, he doesn't see a child that he is disgraced of. He doesn't see a child where he's ashamed of. Instead, he sees a child that he is proud of because anyone who trusts in his son, Jesus, will never be disgraced. And again, 
It's nothing to do with anything that we have done or can ever do. But it's by the gift of salvation that can only be given by coming to Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by fully trusting in Jesus and constantly having our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of salvation that can only come from trusting in your son, Jesus. It can only be given by believing in him. May the week ahead, may you gently remind us that it's not tied down by religious legality. Instead, we are free to be moved and to be used by you. We pray, Lord, for those who may feel entangled by shame and guilt. All of us have messy lives. All of us have done things which we may regret. And so we ask, due to the price and due to the victory that Jesus had on that cross, may it break the bonds of sin, shame, guilt, or anything else that holds on to us. And may we be able to stand in your glory, knowing that we are free. May you look after us and protect us. In your holy name, amen.